And if you would uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Haggai chapter 2. Uh, in the, the Green Church Bibles, that's page 949. And if you have a large print Bible, that's page 1465. And this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 10 down to verse 19. So let me read to us God's word, which begins this way. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person is defiled by contact with a dead body, touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes. The priests replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from the 24th day of the ninth month, Give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Well, I've entitled this sermon, From This Day On which you'll see uh, in the passage appears a number of times, from this day on. Uh, there is um, a Roman god uh, who is a false god. The only god is our Lord. But this Roman god that they worshipped is called Janus. And you may have heard of Janus because the month of January is named after this Roman false god. And what you'll notice about the picture of this false god is that it has two heads that look backwards and forwards, which is the reason why the month of January, the first month of the year, is named after Janus. Because in January, certainly at the very beginning of the month, 
it is a time where many people look back at the year that has just passed and they look forwards to the year ahead. Uh, and it's in January, therefore, the start of a new year, where many people make New Year's resolutions. What they are going to do looking forward, because when they've looked back, they realize they need a change. Uh, maybe many of uh, you here this morning make resolutions every year. Uh, you look back and you think, oh, I need to change this, whether it be a diet or exercise or uh, I don't know what other things people resolve, but you can tell I don't make resolutions very often. Uh, look back and realize they need to change and then make a change going forward. Uh, a, a from this day on kind of thing. Now, having a moment of change for the better, a from this day on, can be a very good thing. Uh, especially if the change is empowered by the Holy Spirit who we have seen promises to be with us as his people. As we're changed into the image of Christ, there are moments of, from this day on, of mo moments of, of change, of transformation, that are, are lines in the sand where we move forward as God's people. And in, our, uh, in this book of Haggai, we've seen God's people do that. They've, they've obeyed the word of the Lord. They've started rebuilding the temple. They've made a change, a commitment. And in our passage today, we have that sense of looking backwards and forwards. They look backwards to a sad state of affairs that has gone on in the past, and they look forwards to a, a new day of promise as God's people commit to obeying him. Now in Haggai so far, uh, we were challenged in chapter 1 to renounce our excuses for not committing to serving our Lord. Then, in the second week, we looked at how his people, stirred up by the Holy Spirit, obeyed him. And then last week, we were encouraged to keep going in the work of serving Jesus when it is difficult and discouraging and disappointing. We looked at the, the fact that God is with us, and we looked at the future glory, the greater glory that's to come, that we fix our eyes on to keep us going. Well, today we come to a new time stamp in the book of Haggai. If you remember, each message that he gives is, is stamped with a specific date. And notice in verse 10 that it is the 24th day of the ninth month. It is the 18th of December, in other words, in our time, 18th of December. And on this day, Haggai actually has two messages. It's like he has a morning and evening service on this day. Two messages. We're going to look at one this week and then the final one next week. And the 18th of December was a key date because it was the date that the foundation stone of the new temple had been laid 16 years before in Ezra chapter 3. It was a, a date of importance, the foundation stone. Uh, some church buildings, I don't think there's one in this building, but some of the people that have been members a long time can correct me, but some church buildings have a date on the stone that was the foundation stone that is still written on there. Uh, when I was in Devon, our church building there was uh, built in the 1800s, and there was a date on the foundation stone that had the date, and then it said, uh, this stone was laid on this date by this person, and it's a memorial. Well, the 18th of December was like the date written on that stone at the temple in Jerusalem. 
it was a date in the calendar that was marked by God's people, a day of remembrance. But it was a sad day as well because last time the temple was foundations were laid, but the work came to a standstill. So when they looked back and remembered that founding, they also remembered the sad state of affairs that had followed, how the work stopped, how opposition came, how they disobeyed God. That's what they were looking back to. But this time, now that the work had restarted, they could look forward. They could keep going on with the work. Now, perhaps this is a story for some of us this morning. We were following Jesus. We were committed. But our Christian life has come to a kind of a, a standstill. Something has happened that has robbed us of our zeal and we kind of have stopped. Maybe that's where some of you are this morning. Maybe you've come to the book of Haggai in that kind of position and, and this book is stirring you up and, and pushing you on. And so today we're going to think about our own commitment and we're going to think about from this day on that today we might make that kind of line in the sand, if you like, that, that mark on the calendar that says, today I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to make my decision this day on the 24th of December, 2023, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. And it's a day of, of commitment for us as well as God's people. Well, this passage breaks into two sections. One looks backwards, one looks forwards. And we're going to look, first of all, backwards as we see the old difficulty of defilement, which is the problem that we all have. And then we're going to look forwards at a new day of fruitfulness. So first of all, the old difficulty of defilement. And we have some familiar words. Notice in verse 10, again, it says, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Haggai is regularly giving God's word to his people. Uh, by the way, it's a, a good thing to, to be at church and to regularly hear God's word given uh, from uh, the preachers of God's word. It's not the, the big point of this passage, but it's a, a point to be raised nonetheless. That it's important to regularly hear the word of the Lord. But the Lord tells Haggai here in verse 11 to ask the priests. Do you notice that there? Ask the priests. Well, the priests were the religious leaders of the day. They offered sacrifices that the, for the people at the temple, but they also were responsible for, for interpreting and explaining the law from the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It was their job to, to interpret what it meant for the people. Uh, for example, we read God speaking to the priests in Leviticus chapter 10. He says, you can teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. That was the job of the priests. In Ezekiel, we read, in any dispute, the priests are to serve as judges and decide it, according to my ordinances. They are to keep my laws and my decrees for all my appointed festivals, and they are to keep my Sabbaths holy. So it was the job of the priests to interpret the law for the people of God. And so a lesson for God's people is going to come from the priests to the people so they could understand what God was saying. And in verses 12 and 13, 
the part of the law that they are asked to interpret about is laws around what is holy or defiled, what is clean and what is unclean. Notice the first question in verse 12. He says this, If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other foods, does it become consecrated? Now, in the book of Leviticus, there are lots of different offerings and sacrifices and rules around them. And the offering being talked about here was an offering called the fellowship offering. It's found in Leviticus chapter 7. We're not going to turn there, but that's where it is. And the fellowship offering was a free will offering of worship to God, where some of the animal that was sacrificed was not sacrificed, but taken home to be shared in a communal meal. So you'd have an animal, some of it was sacrificed, some of it was, was taken home um, for, for lunch, maybe like Sunday lunch or something like that. But the meat was declared as holy in the temple, and whatever that meat touched also became holy, or in other words, special or set apart. And when the consecrated or holy meat was being taken home, it would be taken home in like the fold of a garment. Um, so I'm thinking of it in my head like an apron. So you've got your apron, your meat's being carried along, and that apron would then become holy or consecrated as well. So the meat was holy, and when the meat touched the apron, the, the apron became holy as well. It means the apron was special or sacred or set apart. The question, though, is related not to what the meat touched, but what this garment touched, what this apron touched. Is holiness contagious? Does it pass on indirectly from the garment? So when the garment touches something else, so pretend the garment touched the pulpit, does the pulpit become clean? Or if I walk down the steps and the garment touched one of you, do you become clean? Does that make sense? And the priests give the answer, no, 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 it doesn't. The garment can't pass on holiness. Uh, to, to illustrate uh, what this meant, I want you to imagine that you own two dogs, okay, two dogs. No, for, for some of you, I know you own two dogs. Uh, imagine uh, they've, they've each got a name. You've got like Rover and Buster, right? They're the name of these, these, these two dogs, Rover and Buster. And you take Rover and Buster out, uh, on, a, on a walk on Pelsall Common, and all of a sudden there's a, there's a downpour, and Pelsall Common becomes like a, a mud pit. And your like, dogs, Rover and Buster, they love the mud, they roll about in the mud, they think they're having a great time, and then you've got to bring them home. They get in the car, the car becomes a mud pit, but when you get home, you say to Rover, Rover, you need to wait outside, and you take Buster up, and Buster has a bath. And you bathe Buster... And he has never been so clean. Buster is as clean as clean can be. And then Buster gets out the bath, and Buster goes outside. And Buster and Rover love to play with each other. When Buster, this dog that's now clean, touches Rover, does Rover become clean? When Buster touches the walls in your house, do the walls become cleaner because Buster's touched the walls? No, of course not. You, you've made Buster clean, 
by giving him a bath, but Buster can't pass on that cleanness to anybody else. That's what's going on here. Now, similarly for us, Jesus makes us holy. He makes us right with God through his sacrifice for our sins. We are cleansed, we are consecrated, we are made right in God's sight. Can we then pass on holiness to others? Can we make others right with God because we ourselves are right with God? The answer is no, no, we can't. You can't become right with God because your parents are Christians. You can't, become, you can't be forgiven of your sin just because you come to church and are around Christians. You can't be cleansed by being the disciple of a famous Christian person. It is only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your sin that you can be forgiven and cleansed. It's not contagious. It is through Jesus alone. Sin, on the other hand, not holiness, but sin, is an altogether different problem. And the second question that the priest asks is in verse 13. Notice what it says. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Now this question relates to the laws around being declared clean or unclean. And they're uh, in the law based on all sorts of things that you can read about in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Uh, the, the cleanliness laws related to things that you could, could and couldn't eat, what you could touch, bodily functions, all sorts of things. And it was to teach God's people about the holiness of God uh, and the seriousness of approaching him. It was to teach God's people that, that access to God was, was not a light thing. It was, it was serious and it was limited. Numbers 19 is the chapter full of instruction about what makes someone unclean, and it includes this about a dead body. Whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves with the water on the third day, and on the seventh day they will be clean. But if they do not purify themselves, on the third and seventh days they will not be clean. And then importantly, we see this summarizing the impact of someone who is unclean on the community at the end of chapter 19 of Numbers. Anything that an unclean person touches becomes unclean. And anyone who touches it becomes unclean till evening. Unlike holiness or cleanness, uncleanness or defilement was contagious. And so the answer to the question is, yes, an unclean person can pass on their defilement and make someone else or something else defiled. And again, if, if you want to illustrate this with Rover and Buster, let's switch the story around. You get home from being in the mud pit and you've given Buster a bath, but you've left the door open by mistake and Rover, muddy, filthy Rover, decides, I'm, good. I'm, I'm cold out here, I'm going to go in the house. And Rover is excited because he thinks bath time is coming, and I haven't had a bath for years, and I love baths. And when Rover gets excited, he goes everywhere. He's rolling on the couch. He's climbing the walls. Uh, he's paws everywhere. He's on the carpet. What happens, right? Your house becomes a mud pit. Everything Rover touches becomes a mud pit. In fact, there was um, 
one time I was walking to church and I decided I was going to do a bit of a walk um, a longer way round and I walked um, along the canal and I, I was wearing these, these trousers actually and a dog comes up to me uh, having been walking in the mud and decides to say hello, comes up, paws on me and I have to go home and get changed. Of course, the owner says, oh, he's just being friendly, you know, all that kind of stuff. I hate it when dog owners say that because I'm, I'm not finding this friendly. If anyone else came and put their hands on me, apart from my wife, I'd think it was odd, not friendly. Why is it okay for a muddy dog? Anyway, I'm not going to have a rant about that. But you see what I mean when this happens, okay? Defilement, unlike holiness, is, is contagious. But here's the key to understanding verses 12 and 13. Defilement or sinfulness has always been contagious. Our, sin na- our sinful nature is, is passed on from generation to generation, isn't it? I mean, those of us that have children, you know you don't need to teach your children to sin. They, they can figure it out. Why? Because they get it from you. The, the, the good works that we do to try and please God and be made right with God, are defiled by sin. We can never be perfect and good enough for God because it's all defiled. Good works will never save you. That's why we need the sacrifice of Jesus. Our sin also has an impact on others in various ways. It causes pain. It causes suffering and and bitterness. and, And it even leads or can prod others to sin. Our sin makes us like a filthy mad dog defiling all that we touch, doesn't it? And it is a difficulty as old as mankind. The old difficulty of defilement affects us all. And having had the lesson from the priest in verse 14, uh, in verses 12 and 13, in verse 14, Haggai applies it to the people. The people have been disobedient because of not building the temple. Their sin is defiling them. And the work and worship that they offer to God then is also defiled. Their sin has impacted their relationship and their with God and their work for God. Look at verse 14. Then Haggai said, so it is with with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. That the people as a whole, individually and collectively, are defiled, it says here, in God's sight. God's not pleased with the worship or the work that they offer him. The sacrifices they offered were not accepted. The work they did was not blessed. Why? It was defiled. Why was it defiled? Because they were worshipping or offering sacrifices and they were trying to work whilst continuing to disobey God. They had not confessed their sin and repented of their sin. And God cannot stand hypocrisy, where we we bring our worship to him whilst we are entertaining sin in our lives. So just a couple of verses that point this out in Proverbs. The, the The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked but the prayer of the upright pleases him. The sacrifice of the wicked is detestable. How much more when bought with evil intent? Then in Isaiah, 
Uh, God says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus calls the religious leaders out for their hypocrisy, calling them whitewashed tombs. They look really great on the outside, but, in, but inside they are really dead. When the people are entertaining sin, what they do is defiled. What they, 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 it is miserable. Their ministry is ineffective. They are not under God's blessing. And for us here today, there's two ways we can think about this. If you're, if you're not a Christian, you cannot please God by trying to be good because those works are defiled because you've not had your sins forgiven. You need to come to Jesus and ask his forgiveness. But if you're here and you're a Christian, if you think that God's going to be really happy with you and with your work for him when you are entertaining sin, even in, in secret, and thinking you're okay, that is not helpful. It is, it is not good, and your work is not blessed. In fact, your sin impacts this church community. Did you know that? In the book of Joshua, the sin of one man called Achan caused God to allow his people to suffer defeat against their enemies. Sin is, it doesn't just impact you. It's not a, a private thing. We have to be serious about sin in our lives. We have to fight it, confess it, repent of it. For if we don't, it defiles the work, not just in your life, but the work of the whole of the church. Now, I'm not saying that every time that we do something wrong, the work of the church is ruined. What I'm saying is that if we, if we allow sin to run out of control, to, to entertain it, to not regularly bring it to God and confess it and repent of it, then it becomes like a cancer eating away at the church. In fact, thinking about sin as contagious, if we would take our sin as serious as some of us do our physical health, that would be a very good thing. We try to avoid illness, don't we? We try to avoid getting sick, we should be as serious about sin, which actually is of much worse consequence, of much worse consequence. So we've seen the old difficulty of defilement. They've looked, they're looking back and they've said, yeah, we've disobeyed and it's, it's not been good. And perhaps here this morning, some of, some of you are looking back at your life and you, you, you're looking back and you're seeing the defilement of sin. Or you're looking back and you're seeing missed opportunities or wasted time or whatever it might be. You're looking back with regret. But here's some good news. Because Jesus has died on the cross, because he became defiled, because he became sin for us, his sacrifice covers it all. He is the one who makes us clean. And so when you're feeling that, that, that defilement and that shame and that regret over the past, you can look past your sin and look to the cross and see there the place of forgiveness and new life. God doesn't write us off. Just because you failed in the past, he does not write you off. There is 
we will see a brand new day now. And even as Christians, we can look back with regret at what has happened in our Christian life. Can I tell you, Jesus forgives us even as Christians. The forgiveness he offers us is for all of our sin, even the sin we've done when we have been his people. And when we confess it, we can move on by the power of the Spirit to a brand new day. And the brand new day is the new day of fruitfulness. And that's what verses 15 to 19 is about. In verses 15 to 19, I want you to notice two phrases that are repeated three times that give us this sense of new beginning or new start. The first phrase is this, give careful thought, a phrase we've heard before in Haggai. And the second phrase is, from this day on. Both of those are given three times, and it gives a sense of a, of a new day. Think about this, and then from this day on. And the two phrases are right at the beginning of verse 15. Notice what it says, that the people are asked to consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. So think back to the time when you were disobeying. When the stones of the temple were a pile of rubble on the floor and you weren't picking them up and building the temple as I told you to do. And verse 16 reminds them what it was like when they were disobeying God. It was a bit like, or very much like, or the same as Haggai chapter 1 verses 9 to 11, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. They were not receiving the blessings they expected. By the way, sin... Uh, promises much blessing, but never delivers on its promise. It never satisfies. But in Haggai chapter 1, we looked at this subject of the Lord's discipline. And again, that's what they were called to remember in verse 16. Their expectations were great, but they were not met. But notice again in verse 17, God claims responsibility for doing this. He struck the work of their hands with blight, mildew, and hail. In fact, God had promised he would do this if his people disobeyed. So in Deuteronomy chapter 28, God says, The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. So God said, if you disobey me, this is what will happen. And because God is faithful, he keeps his promise, this is what happened. But we read in verse 17 at the end there that they still did not return to God. They weren't listening. Now sometimes, friends, it's worth considering our past and what life was like when we were disobeying the Lord. Not so that we can have some kind of pity party or even sometimes people can show off how bad they were or something like that. But to remind ourselves that it's never worth rejecting the Lord. And at the same time, when we do that, we can then look forward to the commitment of a brand new day. Notice that in verse 18. From this day on. From this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. The date here, 18th of December, is a date, God says, mark it in your calendars. Mark this day. It was the temple foundation laying day. It was a day with a past, but it's also a brand new day where life changes. It's a, a day of repentance, 
Mark this day, he says. And perhaps this day could be that day for you. Perhaps the 24th of September can be the day that you commit to Jesus, maybe even for the first time, where you recognize, yes, I need my sins forgiven. I need relationship with God. I need to, to, I don't want to face his judgment. I want to commit today. Maybe for some, as Christians, we make new commitments today. And as, uh, as the people obeyed God, in verses 18 and 19, something wonderful takes place. Notice the end of verse 18 and beginning of verse 19. A question is asked, this time not of the priests, but of the whole community. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree and the, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. Now you may be thinking, what, a, what an odd question. Well, it wasn't odd at this time. It was December. And so in December, there was no seed left in the barn because by December, all the seed in the barn had been planted. It had all been spread out in the fields. There were, the barns were empty and they were waiting for harvest time. And it was a time of hope. They were hoping that the, 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 the seeds that had been scattered of all these different crops would, would sprout. And in the past, they've been disappointed. In the past, the fruit has not been what they expected. In the past, they'd been under God's judgment. And so, they look, so God asked the question, is there any seed in the barn? The people would say, no. No, there isn't, God. And before, we've been disappointed. But look at the end of verse 19. From this day on, I will bless you. From this day on, I will bless you. It is God who produces the harvest, and he promises in Deuteronomy that, yes, if you disobey me, the harvests will be bad. But if you follow me, the harvest will be good. You will have, have fruit. And so he's saying, now that you are committing to obeying me, now that you are picking up the stones and building the temple like I've asked you to do, from this day on, with that fresh commitment in mind, I will bless you. Now, something for us to think about here. Is this teaching us then that if I do good and obey God as a Christian, that I am then going to be materially prosperous? The modern day equivalent of, of vines and figs, pomegranates and olives being money, houses, cars, health, perfect children, and so on. Is that, is that what we're seeing in this passage? Let me say clearly, absolutely not. Absolutely not. The Old Testament people of God were a, a nation state in a specific physical location, a nation who was blessed so that through them the Messiah would come who would bless all nations and so the blessing for Israel here is a physical, material blessing as a physical, material nation. But the word fruit or fruitfulness is used a lot in the New Testament. Not to speak of physical, material blessings. In fact, you can correct me afterwards over coffee if you want, but I can't find anywhere in the New Testament where it speaks of fruit as Christians being physically blessed with lots of good stuff. But it does use the word fruit in other ways. 
it speaks of our behavior or our Christ-likeness. For example, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Jesus speaks of this kind of fruit in John chapter 15 as we abide in him, keeping his commandments. It speaks of the fruit of converts into the kingdom of God. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 6 says, the, ho- the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. This really is new, the New Testament equivalent of the command to, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So there's the fruit of Christ-likeness or righteousness or fruit of the Spirit. There is the fruits of growth in the kingdom of God. And then finally, fruitfulness can also speak of, of works of service in the kingdom of God, like the, the parable of the talents, for example, that kind of thing, where our, our works of God are described as, as fruitful. And so here, the logic of the New Testament in regards to fruitfulness is this. As we obey Jesus, we bear the fruit of, of becoming like him of serving him in the church, of seeing the church grow through more people coming to faith. And all of this is the the way, Jesus says in John 15, to joy, a joy that is complete, a fruitful life. As we obey Jesus, God blesses us with fruit that will last. Do you see? And so let me encourage you to to mark this day, the 24th of September, 2023. From this day on, let us make a commitment as a church to obey Jesus, to follow his commands no matter what, for the bearing of much fruit. And can I tell you that the fruitfulness of, of Christ-likeness, the fruitfulness of seeing people come to faith in Jesus, the fruitfulness of service of Jesus, which we find true freedom, is far, far better than any money or car or health or whatever it else, else it might be that you could have. There is no greater joy than the fruitfulness that comes from Jesus. And so it is worth making that commitment today. So perhaps for some of you here this morning, it is becoming a Christian for the first time. Asking God to forgive your sins and following Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. If that's you this morning, can I encourage you to, to, to pray and ask God to forgive your sin and then tell someone you're sitting with or come and tell, tell me that you've done that. That's a great commitment to make. Perhaps for some, you are Christians and you haven't been baptized. We saw uh, baptisms earlier this year. A baptism is, if you like, a, a line in the sand. It's a day of commitment. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm I'm making my stand for him. Maybe some here are interested in baptism. If that's you, come and speak to one of the elders about it. Perhaps for some, you might want to join a team in the church or a home group. We've we've spoken about that in previous weeks. Again, if you haven't um, signed up to volunteer for the various 
um, teams that are going on, then, then please uh, come and ask one of the deacons or one of the elders, and we'd love to, to help you with that. Perhaps for some, you need to, to commit to, to reading Scripture and to praying. Perhaps there's a sin that you know you need to repent of today. We can do these things on this day by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Because Jesus has dealt with the old difficulty of defilement and he brings us a new day of fruitfulness. Let me close by telling you just a bit more about Jesus and how this is shown by him. Jesus never sinned. Jesus was perfect, completely clean. He never had the old difficulty of defilement but he became defiled. He became sin for us. He took our dirt and he actually does give us his righteousness. He is the only one that can pass on holiness, who can give you a right standing with God, who can forgive your sins. He paid for them all. In Christ, we are no longer defiled. But then on the third day, on the Sunday the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead. And so now we as God's people live in a brand new day. A day where we receive the Holy Spirit and have the ability to obey his commands and bear fruit. And there is a final way that fruit is used in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus is called the first fruits of a harvest of resurrected people who will be with him in glory forever. And so every single Sunday, we come and we celebrate the foundation of a new temple, a foundation stone which is Jesus, the one who every day we commit to follow. In fact, as a Christian, every day is a new day. Every day is a brand new day of fruitfulness as we follow him. So let me ask you, will you commit to Jesus today? Will you follow him? Will you bear fruit for his kingdom by the power of his spirit? We're going to uh, uh, close our service by singing uh, a song uh, that calls us together as a church to commit to Jesus. Uh, we're going to sing the song, O Church, Arise. And as we sing, we sing this as a prayer of commitment to rising up and taking our stand as fruit-bearing followers of Jesus Christ. Let's sing together.
you're welcome to stay for tea and coffee and uh, to spend time having uh, fellowship together. If you've got questions and things, please uh, come and ask. So I'm going to leave you uh, with these words from Hebrews chapter 13. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Amen. Amen.